And we're here. And if I start hello. speaking quickly, I'll, I will get our introductions in. Hello and welcome to Esquiring Minds, episode 9 for February 23rd, 2023. This show is three lawyer friends goofing around for your enjoyment and nothing we say should be taken as legal advice. I'm one of those friends. I'm Andrew Leahy, a tax and technology attorney from New Jersey. I'm joined by Jake from Florida, That's local me. government land and use attorney. There he is. Jacob Schumer. You can't see him, but government. I can. Land use. I, yeah, I'm, I do exist. I'm being yeah. perceived as we speak by at least two people. When the other Andrew, person you're like uh, you're getting gussied up for the Daytona 500 here. You're like off to the races, really, really talking from fast the hour, tonight. T- five from the top of the hour. We got traffic and weather together coming up on the eights. Got a mattress in <laughs> lane. You got to lower your DJ voice down though, like smooth jazz with Andrew Lay. <laughs> Trying to work on that on Esquire we have, Minds. We've learned we we go over time if we take too much time, so we got to just like you know, y'all know who we are. Rude. Um, <laughs> and then it's I rude, music but it's also always funny. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. he did it! I have we, we were mute to... your microphone. Mute your microphone when you take a drink, man. That's terrible. Oh, so did I? Was that me? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, slurping. Slurp. Hold on. Let me grab time. some popcorn and some chips. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hit the microphone. Yeah. Okay, I, we didn't even finish introductions. Hi, I'm Jason. Andrew Andrew That's started Jason. introducing me. Uh, I'm Jason. Uh, I'm I'm coming in hot tonight. I'm uh, feeling pretty spicy after a busy day of suing bad bosses. Uh, I I filed one lawsuit. I wrote two more. I was hoping to file them, but man, I'm 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 full of piss and vinegar today. Vim and ready yeah. to. Oh, I was gonna say vim and vigor, but okay. We'll go with sure. that. That's PG, that's, right? You can say piss, can't you? I think so. I don't know. I don't say it around my kids. Yeah. I don't either. Kid, it's just kids sort don't of a listen gross to this. term. I don't want it. I don't want to hear that being repeated from a child. You know, I don't mm, use yeah. that term in its literal form ever. <laughs> no. I don't think. Right. It's, so, it's always imagine. like part of another phrase. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, you're you're upset about something, or maybe you're doing the Britishism, where it's like, oh, you're just you know having a little Taking, fun or something yeah. like that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's right. the main. I've started saying that, and I feel weird about it because I don't know how, how many people are like, you know, in the t- British TV show circuit like I am. What's your? British I assume TV that's what I know circuit. it from. No, I don't. I don't even know. Does Tad Lasso count? I don't know. Uh, first of all it's flea bag you just called him tad lasso <laughs> tad that's, lasso uh, that's like the fake <laughs> president lincoln's t-shirt son, from uh that 70s show tad nugent uh <laughs> but uh flea bag also amazing british i mean ted lasso isn't even british right it's like american mm-hmm. but it's you know blah 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 uh flea bag um i don't know black mirror i don't know <laughs> like are these all our, american tv shows that it just happen culture, to have british people in them Really? Are, are they are, not? It, I thought they were. No, uh, Black Mirror. I think was a British TV show at first. By uh, oh, okay. started by Charles Brooker or something. I don't know if you guys uh, knew this, but also The Office was a British TV show first. The That's, Office, uh, really like common, commonly not known information. No one knows that. Yeah, Faulty yeah. Towers. Uh, I'm just gonna start naming British TV shows and movies now. I think, I guess. Andrew, now's a great time for a segue. <laughs> Let's segue. <laughs> right. Let's segue into yeah. A, uh, I don't even have a segue. I don't do segues. We're just gonna talk about Section 230 tonight for the most part. But I think first we have some actually uh, some sort of mini topics, right? We have a couple of little 
as uh, we, sort as of we are a follow-up on do not pay a little bit kind of by just sort of by contrast right with filevine and like they're actually pitching and selling a product that makes sense yeah so filevine filevine is a piece of software that is pretty commonly used by uh, some law firms, I think I see a lot of personal injury lawyers using it. Uh, one of my favorite employment litigators out there in Ohio, James Hux, he uses it, swears by it, says it's great. Uh, but uh, no. Filevine is like a Clio practice management software sort of thing, case management uh, software. Uh, and it's really common for those these days to have some sort of built-in like document automation integration. Looks like Filevine is starting to do what Do Not Pay has been saying that they've been doing all along and actually taking some machine learning or AI, which to, in my mind are mostly interchangeable at this point. Uh, but uh, they're taking some machine learning and I think they're doing it specifically with immigration forms. So it's not going to mm. benefit anybody whose practice I know anything about right now. Uh, but they're taking these immigration forms and doing something a little bit like what, uh, what Adobe has been doing and kind of recognizing fields in the forms. Uh, and then they're also going in there and uh, uh, taking some of the organic documents that clients might be submitting for uh, information about it, like birth certificates and, you know, uh, I don't know what other paperwork you would do to marriage licenses, passports, marriage licenses, tax returns, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> maybe some work-related forms and stuff like that. Uh, and then it will intelligently place the information from those scanned in documents into the appropriate places in the immigration form. So this is actually like cool. a good yeah, version really cool. of what Do Not Pay has been saying they've been doing all along. Yeah. I mean, that's like almost. <laughs> yeah. Did they call it AI? Is uh, Filevine calling it AI? Because that seems like a smart. It's like smart scanning, smart screen reading kind of situation rather than you know ai as we've been talking about it recently has been like pretending to be a human through right. text and that kind of thing uh oh i see also like we've had ai model. yeah the chatbot model but also i yeah. guess yeah this this is ai to the extent that stuff is ai too because i was also thinking about like ai the uh ai driven in quotes ai driven um fake voices like i don't know if you guys yeah. have seen the fake Joe Biden and Donald Trump play Overwatch videos. Um, no, I haven't seen that, but I've seen Joe Biden like uh, ordering a pizza or something. Or not seen, I guess yeah. I heard it. Yeah, yeah there's uh, Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro arguing about Ratatouille and what, or like talking about whether or not <laughs> yeah. they want to be Ratatouille, uh, uh -huh. which is uh, maybe my favorite one so far. Uh, but like, so that's that's AI because it's right. you know trying to replicate something from just a little simple. Yeah, I, this is made, this is clearly a cool use of that kind of uh, machine learning, whatever you want right. to call it. It yeah, also seems so, infinitely more attainable. Like it seems doable. Yeah. This is not oh, yeah. as pie in the sky and useful. Like I mean, pulling data yeah. from uh, you know all these different disparate documents and then like translating them where necessary and then filling them into. I can see obvious applications in tax. It, this seems really cool. Yeah, uh, the uh, the CEO of Filevine, uh, it's a fellow named Ryan Anderson. Uh, we'll put this uh, article from Law Next in the show notes. I think probably maybe I don't know. I I don't, I don't do any sure. of that. Uh, but uh, the uh, CEO of Filevine, Ryan Anderson, did kind of the typical thing that a lot of folks who are real bullish on AI and calling things AI and implementing AI. He he did a little play on that and he said that AI will replace lawyers. 
dot, 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 uh, who failed to adapt with it uh, and is <laughs> talking about how using lawyer, having lawyers use AI in intelligent ways. And we're seeing some more of that with the uh, announcement that maybe we talked about last week, maybe not. Uh, the whole Harvey integration into uh, some big law firms. So uh, it's happening in good ways too, not just terrible ways. Right. I don't think I mean, we talked about the Harvey thing last week because that just came out, I think, this week. Yeah, I don't uh, think we did either. Uh, yeah. As far as the, just quickly the replacing those who don't adapt, the thing I obviously I think about immediately is I don't know if you guys have interacted at all with like estate planning um, automation services, these like Wealth Council and these other Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a subscription-based thing, similar to like Westlaw or whatever. But what you have access to is basically just the case law in your state where you're barred um, that is limited to the sorts of documents you're going to be generating and then forms mm -hmm. for those documents, wills, you know, living wills, living trusts, those sorts of things. And I don't recall that when Wealth Council rolled out, people talked about it doing away with attorneys. It's just attorneys that subscribe to it and use it to generate the documents yeah. for their clients. It's not, I don't really see why this is all that different and why this is going to suddenly put people out of work. Yeah. I, I, anything that makes an attorney more efficient is theoretically putting attorneys out of work. Like the worst one at the end of the line that just is like the, the <laughs> yeah. poor person who's I sorry, mean, there's nothing left for you, Billy. Uh, it's the musical. Yeah, I mean, it's, the musical yeah. chairs where the last person who is uh, left standing just doesn't have a seat to sit down in yet. <laughs> or you just like, you know, the ones that are like the best maybe are are able to take more of the work. And it's just like the prices go down at the lower end. And, you know, uh, but it's not really it's not like, oh, there's not going to be lawyers anymore. It's going to be a slightly different job, just like it has been as we switch to pay less paper. Uh, right. It's an evolution. Um, and yeah, we're, we're going to have to be ready for it some way or another. Uh, even if the core of what we do of like analyzing and advising and such, is basically going to be the same. Right. So, so speaking of evolution, uh, I don't know, I, did, I don't know if you added this or Jason added this, um, Jake, this mid-law, uh, clawback provision, oh. the evolution of compensating attorneys in, in oh, yeah. scenes. that was me. That was yeah, me. No, I'm responsible for this, this abomination. This is crazy. I am horrified. By yeah. <laughs> so I guess uh, uh, maybe, Andrew, you want to go ahead and summarize for us? Sure. I mean, so it, it's pretty simple. Basically, there was a former associate that was made to uh, they didn't f complete a complete year. I think basically the, the contract that they signed when they uh, were initially um, employed with this firm was that if they didn't bill a certain number of hours by the end of the year, they would uh, owe something back from their salary. Right. Oh, I thought it $35, was, it was, it was like an hourly like it could have even been month to month, but yeah. So it was, if you don't reach your billable expectations, you have to pay right. back the salary that we paid you less, uh, under those expectations. And then he was like, you didn't send me any work. Right. So right. I couldn't bill any hours because I was depending on you to send me work. And the, and the court was like, yeah, that's too bad, bud. You signed it. Yeah. Basically. Okay, so yeah. The hours bill discrepancy clause said that if this attorney billed less than the base quota for any three-month period, his salary would be reduced appropriately at the discretion of the firm. So I guess that's what it was. It was over at a little three-month chunks. God. That's the insane part about this to me is that uh, this is a quote lifted from uh, this uh, contract. It would be reduced appropriately at the discretion of LLH, the law firm, uh, in this, to, in order to make up for any discrepancy. Like, uh, wait a second, we're giving you unilateral <laughs> control over the ability to just 
at our discretion. You kind right. of decide to claw back some or a huge portion or all of but the salary that you pay that? this guy. Yeah. What a horrifying yeah. contract. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And then they're suing him. That like this came into place. This right. came to right. court because they are actually suing him for the money back. Which yeah. is like, oh, I could this is a horrifying contract provision. I'm so like uh <laughs> like it's, a, it's something that people should look out for i guess um, in north dakota especially because apparently this first i, I yeah. assume larson and latham is the same firm for both but apparently they did it previously in uh 2022 they did this to some other uh, associate in north same, dakota yeah same basic okay thing. i was like how big is this place like i i'm just imagining you can't get that big because then nobody everybody well, would hate you that yeah, was yeah, I that was my webpage I checked their webpage. They are not a large firm. Like I assumed when I first read this and I popped it into our document, I assumed it was some like big law abomination, but no, it was like, it was under 25 lawyers at this firm. I think it might've been pretty small. Uh, so like bigger than the law firm, uh, or maybe about the same size of the law firm that I was a partner at before I went out on my own. Uh, but like, holy smokes, I expect this kind of like, evil hearted, you know, uh, <laughs> right. just miserliness with associates. And uh, I expect that from big law firms. I expect it from you know, Quarles or Jones Day or something mm-hmm. like that. But I don't expect it from little guys. You know, the thing about Jones Day, the big go- but guys, is that they're actually trying to get good attorneys and they want to recruit yeah. the good attorneys. And this well, that was is my like, thought here. This yeah. scares away anybody that has like a good choice. In North yeah. Dakota, you know? by the way, which yeah. uh, how deep is that pool? Does North, is there a law school in North Dakota? So I'm sure that there is. <laughs> uh, North Dakota is actually a surprising font of good, high paying work, or at least it has been during the, uh, what do you call it? The shale oil fracking boom. Oh, okay. uh, there has been a ton of money in North Dakota uh, for that sort of thing right now, both for people like both for just people who are not lawyers and for lawyers who are doing that like oil and gas right work up there and the work right. that's attendant to having a bunch of high earning people plopping down in the area. So it's yeah, it's a desolate wasteland, but it's also a desolate wasteland <laughs> where people are flocking to, it, to it make money hand over fist for the last decade or so gosh <laughs> yeah maybe they, then they won't have so much trouble recruiting people because that was my thought it's just basically if you have if you're a mid-law firm someplace where it's hard to you know get people there's a lot of you'll see like on job posting forums like simplicity and stuff there'll be pretty desperate calls for somebody to come to you know somewhere in the middle of the country to you know they need somebody with 10 years experience in the middle of idaho or something and so my thought here was like the obvious the reason why I would imagine most firms don't do this, and as Jake said, why big law firms don't do it, is they're trying to recruit the best talent. And this poisons the well. I mean, I would not want to go to this firm. Why would I want to? I, I don't even know when I leave uh, the, my job at the firm that my bank account won't get smaller thanks to that thing. So the act of my leaving, you know what I mean? Like, never mind, I'm not getting yeah. paid anymore. I might owe something. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, but anyway, <laughs> it's nutty. Uh, it's so nutty. I, I, I wonder this how is, many firms are doing this is the question. That's a good question. Yeah. This is the first time I've ever heard of anything like this. Uh, I've never been asked to sue anybody about this, but I don't op- often get asked by lawyers to sue their old law firms or anything like that. So uh, <laughs> it's not unheard of, but 
It's not that as of now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's happened. It's happening. Clearly. So speaking of lawsuits that are probably going nowhere, but are nonetheless uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, section one, uh, section two thirty. I'm sorry. Have you guys been following this to the extent? I mean, I, I did. I'm of two, I'm of two minds of having this be a main topic. I think it's worth talking about because if it's not now, it will at some point be probably eviscerated. It seems as though, based on the questions the justices were asking, uh, was it Tuesday and Wednesday? People are suggesting that it, they're reticent. Everyone is reticent to gut yeah. basically all platform. I mean, so we should explain what section two thirty is. So section two thirty is. Uh, basically a part of the, uh, I think it was 1996. Uh, I, I did some research here that uh, I, sh- I know I'm not allowed to do. But it's uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, and it immunizes platforms when they make targeted recommendations. I'm sorry, the question now is whether no. it would immunize a platform if it makes a targeted recommendation. What we I know read, I read does, it. I, I actually read it because I was like, what is the actual text of this? And so it's like much only of the discussion. five lines or something, right? Well, there's, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, the section isn't that long. Um, but there's like, you know, what somebody, there's a book named like the 13 words that created the internet or something. And it was section 230, the important part saying, uh, that they are not treated. They cannot be treated as a, uh, as a publisher. Uh, anybody that hosts online content cannot be, uh, like a online interactive service or whatever. Let me. Let Cannot me just read it for us. As a publisher. Okay, <laughs> just, thank you. I'm just going to read it for you. You did research. This is 47 USC. Yeah, a ton of research while I'm sitting here listening to you guys yeah. talking. Uh, quick, uh, a quick little, ba- I binged it, guys. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, 47 USC 230C1. It says, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So this is more or less, I think probably the intention of it here is, uh, this was what, 1996, I think you said? So uh, probably back then it's uh, when Alta Vista hosts your blog, uh, Alta Vista or GeoCities, gosh, there's a throwback, uh, hosts your blog, they are not responsible for the content or or liable for uh, the publisher status of you know that just because it's hosted on their computers uh or on their platform that's kind of yeah. where it started oh yeah. yeah and and like it's even more basic right so alta vista uh we digital ocean anybody that like provides like a cloud service where or cloud server where you can put your own stuff on the server um and yeah the question so both of the cases today i think or it's Google one, and Twitter. They posted them this week were about uh, terrorist acts, and basically they were they were saying that Google and Twitter, um, uh, they were suing Google and Twitter under this anti-terrorism law, based based on the idea that both of these programs, both of these uh, both of these sites, recommended YouTube through Google and Twitter. Yeah. Just for Twitter, right? Right, Twitter, right. Just let like based on their recommendations, uh, because of the algorithm or whatever, mm-hmm. the algorithm set actually promoted the YouTube video that promoted terrorism, uh, right. promoted the tweet that promoted terrorism to mm-hmm. this person's feed, and so right. therefore they're suing for that, and they're saying that Section Two Thirty doesn't apply because I'm not suing you for the content of the tweet, I'm not suing you for the right. content of the video. I'm suing you for the algorithm that right. promoted this. 
Um, and so, and the lower courts, it seems, have mostly universally said that, no, this immunity applies. It doesn't matter. Like, that. that's still the content. That, right. that, uh, that, that strain of causation, the fact that it, uh, it promotes terrorism is only because of the content. And so unless they took some kind of active step to actually promote that, knowing that it was terrorism, it's the, it, then there's no, uh, liability or there's a, right. there immunity attaches. And it seemed, this is, uh, you know, I did what research I can, but there are like people right. that do this all day. Mm-hmm. And there was a, uh, I saw there was one professor, um, who's like uh who has a blog and he was like uh uh he was talking about how the doj got it totally wrong the fourth circuit got it totally wrong everything looked terrible uh and so these are people that have put a lot of time and effort into thinking about good tests and they still got and they still uh, still have strong disagreements on what it actually means what the what section 230 actually means or what yeah uh okay right i mean so the, the the underlying to my mind the underlying question is we're we're clear that section 230 based on the plain language and then also case intervening case law since 1996 covers the decision to put the content on or i mean mm-hmm. so the other side of it right is they're also covered for removing content right so twitter yes. decides to delete a tweet that is covered under section 230 right. and so that's why this is sort of this has across the aisle uh, bipartisan hate section 230 right so and love to some extent and and love to some extent right because there are people who would say that you know there's hate content hateful content on twitter and so twitter should be held liable because twitter is selling ads around that hateful content and so therefore Mm -hmm. they should be you know somehow held liable for promoting this content they are they are making money off of hate speech right that's one argument Um, the other side of the argument is that they shouldn't be interfering with they shouldn't be covered by section 230 when they take down i mean we know who is obviously making the argument defending the hateful content right it's other hateful people but they would be arguing arguing mm-hmm. that twitter shouldn't be able to take down that content they shouldn't be able to hide behind section 230 by choosing what they promote or in or you know when they choose what they promote and choose what they moderate to some extent so these two questions though these two cases were just based on the algorithm i think right yeah i think Basically, so i mean like the core question is is it different from permitting the content to come on or you know uh, moderating the content if they're boosting the content Right. There and, being and, Twitter and Google. And one of the points that a lot of professors or like people are t- making is that uh, there was some question about, I guess the Ninth Circuit adopted like a neutral algorithm test where like if it if the algorithm treats everything more or less the same, that is not right. that all the content is the same, but the content is promoted based on neutral criteria like likes and right. stuff like that. And mm-hmm. then it's then the uh, section two thirty applies because it's not an actual independent act that cha- that contributes to the expre- expression. It's not an expression in itself. It is right. some method of showing you what it thinks that you want to see. Um, right, and I think and, I understand that because if, if you right. take it to like the 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 metaphor I thought about was. Um, you know those insane, those like uh, what, do, what do you call them? Like ransom notes that in movies people write by cutting up pieces of magazines, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. If you were to make the argument that that's not the speech, that's not that that person is not responsible for the content of that letter because actually yeah. it's you know taken out of bits of Better Homes and Gardens and uh, you know Betty Betty Crocker cookbooks or something. Obviously that doesn't fly, right? Right. And so if they are 
diving in and and picking and choosing content based on the the substance of the content, not based on users' interactions mm-hmm. with it. I kind of understand how you would say yeah. that that is Twitter. If let's say take the extreme example, Twitter or YouTube has an algorithm that like uh, you know ISIS beheading videos get a lot of clicks, and so we just just elevate all those to the front page. Like that's that the actual like intent. Pro- yeah, yeah, that like would be it. that 100%. would be a problem. If we can detect yeah. it's an ISIS video yeah. and has the ISIS logo, we we pump that yeah. sucker all the way up and we put it on the front page. That seems like a problem, right? Yeah. And what yeah. what uh I forgot where I was going earlier, but what the people were saying is that there's no such thing uh other, you know, some people have responded to that neutral algorithm thing and said uh this wasn't neutral because they're, you know, they're uh there's no such thing as neutral because you know, what's the most neutral thing? It's what a live feed of the most recent things, I guess. That's the most neutral thing. But that's still a choice. And there's no such sure. thing as no choices uh, in an algorithm. I that's what the that's, argument is. I don't know and if also, that's still a choice, though. That's, yeah. I mean, that's in basically like the philosophical no choice. That's, sense, it's a choice. Yeah. Right. Like in the, you know, like Aristotle sense, it's a choice. But I mean, I wouldn't say that it's a choice because you have to choose something. Right. Right. Because it could also be first to last. It could be last to first. It could be most clicks. Is that a choice? Uh, most popular, least popular. Yeah. yeah. At some point, I'll, it's like a. It is a matter of degrees. I want to go back to your uh, analogy to the uh, Silence of the Lambs, sociopath, psychopath, right. murderer, uh, and and their little magazine letter cutout thing. Right. That that falls apart in my mind, because in that scenario, somebody is plucking things out of context and little single letters at a time, or maybe single words that totally changes the meaning of it here. And what we're talking about here is taking things that are encapsulated within themselves and have independent meaning in themselves. And we're choosing to elevate those things based off of criteria that are only sinister in the sense that they're designed to get people deeper down rabbit holes and increase engagement and keep you on the platform so that we can serve you more ads. Uh, and it's sinister in that way. I don't know yeah. that it's, I don't know that we can make a, a good faith argument. A lot of people will make the argument. Uh, I don't know if we can make it in good faith that they're doing it to spoon feed you Nazi propaganda on YouTube because you accidentally watched, you know, a video that talked about the history of, Germany in World War II. Uh, And so like the algorithm sending you down Alice in Wonderland rabbit holes here uh, is, uh, is that's in my mind, not specifically sinister to, you know, end up with Nazis in your YouTube feed. Uh, It is sinister to sell you ads. And so the question here is, if we're using the algorithm to promote one kind of speech over another, and I think just based on the plain text of section 230 that I read earlier, it says kind of, I think unambiguously, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. It doesn't qualify it by saying if it's presented in a neutral manner. It doesn't qualify yeah. it by saying how it's presented. It's saying no provider shall be treated. And like, I listen, I'm not wild about YouTube alg- algorithms. I'm not wild about right. 
you know, Twitter or Facebook algorithms. Uh, Instagram seems to get me and know exactly how to serve me up stuff that I'm pretty well calculated to buy. Uh, and that's terrifying. But uh, at the same time, like, that's that's kind of what the internet is. And the only other alternative to having a curated algorithm that serves you up stuff that they think that you want to see based on past experience is to just give you the flat, lifeless, strictly timeline presentation of everything, which I like. And if you listen to a tech <laughs> podcaster, John Syracuse, that's what he wants too. Uh, and I, maybe I'm an old curmudgeon like him, but like, that's, I think the only other alternative is to serve you only a timeline version of things from only the people that you've asked to see. Well, as we've learned from Mastodon, how good that can be and how you can kind of customize that by following bots and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, right. But, um, and following, you know, hashtags and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but one inch, one thing that, uh, that I thought about when I was researching this is that so much of the section 230 discourse recently uh, in politics was about like defamation and how they should be able to sue Twitter and YouTube and such for defamation. There's yeah. never anything, there's never going to be anything defamatory about recommending something in an algorithm. It's always going to be the content that is defamatory because they're just putting it out there. They're just, even if they front it, they'll never be defamatory about that. So even like the plaintiff's best case scenario, I don't think the Supreme court is going to make it. So all of a sudden you can sue YouTube for the defamation in a YouTube video that they didn't produce themselves. So like a lot yeah. of the worst case scenarios about section two thirty going away, don't seem they weren't even on the table, even if the plaintiff won everything. And it sounds like the Supreme court justices were skeptical, even of that plaintiff's like yeah. kind of, it would big, big argument for niche reasons, but, um, but yeah, they didn't seem to buy into even that, even that limited scope of like anti-terrorism and other kind of activity. Right. So for moderation purposes, does, I mean, would this just leave it to basically the, I'm doing huge sarcastic air quotes, as I say, the free market to, um, to require moderation on the parts of these platforms. So like I'm, I'm thinking about like if Twitter can't be held liable, sort of no matter what they do with the content that other people put on Twitter. Why is there any incentive for them to ever do anything about hate speech or harassment or anything like that? Why wouldn't they just hide behind Section 230? Is it only that advertisers are uh, not going to want to be you know, put between those two tweets? Well, it's going to be that advertisers don't want to be there because people don't want to be there. And that's exactly what we're seeing right. happen with Twitter for the last six months anyway. You're seeing a bunch of people just evacuate from Twitter altogether, some of them to Mastodon, some of them to other places, some of them to nowhere, uh, because they don't like what they're being spoon-fed. Uh, and uh, uh, if you don't like what you're being spoon-fed, then you stop eating at the place that's feeding that to you. And uh, when that well dries up, when the people aren't there, then the advertisers won't be there anymore. And so people can vote with their eyeballs, vote with their feet, vote with their dollars, uh, and disappear from it. And so the market has done that in an observable way for the last six months. Well, for the more extreme stuff, like the, you know, violent stuff, uh, there's a lot more than advertisers. Like we saw with um, after January 6th, par Parler Parlay getting taken off of like the app store, uh, yeah, right. getting taken off of what Cloudflare, because at some yeah. point there are a lot of 
you know, between me and you guys in, in this Zencaster video mm-hmm. thing, there's like seven or eight services and a lot of them prohibit you from using it and allowing terrorists, you know, and all right. kinds of content for their service. And so because of that, like you say you let the wrong thing on your platform and you don't do anything to stop it. Your whole business is going to be destroyed if you have an online business, because there's a Google, there's an Apple, there's a Visa MasterCard payment system in the way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, like, it's kind of horrifying in a little, in, yeah. in a way, uh, because that, that kind of like, you know, the anti-terrorism, anti-hate principles, I think a lot of people can get behind, but right. I, you know. The idea that you can just be shut off from the digital world because of these, you know, private corporations saying you're out uh, is a little concerning. But uh, and at some point there, I I think there should be some kind of right to digital access of some kind, some kind of basic digital access. So, like, you can't. I I don't know. I like it's something I've been thinking about, but haven't come to a, you know, final conclusion on. But. Right. Uh, at some point, it's, it's going to be a real concern. It's difficult with all these things because, on some level, then you're compelling some platform. I mean, all you know, there is no state-run any of these things. So at some point, you are compelling yeah. some platform to to host to host in some way, even if it's just like the DNS server that like doesn't want to redirect. You know, whatever I think it was Daily Stormer or whatever the you know horrendous mm-hmm. hate newspaper was like the first sort of wave of you know uh being taken off dns stuff uh cloudflare yeah. not gonna host them I, I think it was daily storm around the time of the charlottesville um you know whatever proud boys crew. yeah um uh yeah well, so i mean it, it is alarming to some extent like i can root for it when you know the people that are getting it are the people who deserve it but right. it is alarming how much of the internet and how much of what you do day to day requires on as you said jake like six different services that any one of them could just decide, I don't like the content of, you know, what you're sharing or what you're saying and you're gone yeah. and that's it. You're not, no more Cloudflare just one, one day is like, you're not allowed to use our service to spread anti-Cloudflare views. And all of a sudden <laughs> right. nobody is saying anything about Cloudflare. It's just like, what happened? Whatever happened like, there's Cloudflare, nothing we can yeah. do to stop this because, right. you know, there's no law saying they have to, that's not okay. Yeah. So... Well- the way the internet has grown up over the last 25 years, and I think a lot of this has been fostered by Section 230, I think in that situation, if you had somebody who got wind of a situation like that, and you found somebody that said uh, that got you know canceled by Cloudflare, and so they can't be propagated on anybody's, uh, oh gosh, what do you call Cloudflare? What are they called? Um, Content Delivery Network or a yeah, CDNs. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, they got canceled by a CDN, and so they can't get delivered right. in any sort of efficient manner. Uh, and if you had that happen, the first uh, advocate who hears about that, right, the first like internet vigilante who's all about internet freedom, uh, who gets wind of that, will like rally the troops, and you will have wagons circled like in a hurry. Uh, and I think that's a byproduct of growing up, the internet growing up and starting to flourish with Section 230 in place. And so we've got the voting with your, with everybody's speech, voting with your eyeballs, voting with your feet, voting with your dollars thing, kind of already marshaled in defense of a free and open internet, asterisk, dagger, you know, cross with all the exceptions for the times when that's not true. Uh, but 
uh, you know, I think we've grown up. I, I mean, the three of us are all of a similar age where we came up with maybe an analog childhood and a digital adolescence. Jake, you probably had just yeah. a digital entire life. Uh, <laughs> he is a Tamagotchi. I, I, look, I got on the internet at 144K at, uh, when I was like 10 or something. I forget when I, when that started. Maybe I was like seven when we were at 14.4K. Yeah. Uh, dial up. But yeah. And so I think that uh, we've got protections not from laws right now, not from companies regulating, although that helps too, because those companies are by and large run by people who are our peers and maybe Gen X and probably some lingering boomers who are holding on. People who also have kind of come of age or been of an, a, an age when it was relevant to them when the internet was really blooming. Uh, and I think we've got a lot more protection there just from the sheer cultural uh, consensus mm-hmm. that the internet should be free and open, at, at least in places that are, you know, not China. I'm, I mean, I, even before Section 230, there was net neutrality. Like way back in the day, they uh, the people that originally created the internet were just like, how do we deal with this? And they're like, okay, everybody, let's just treat it all neutral because we don't have the brain. We don't ha- want to deal with who's going to pay for what bandwidth or whatever, who gets special treatment for what bandwidth. And so that, yeah, it's been a norm that, uh, you know, everybody... It's something for everyone. It's like a digital commons, uh, though that's, you know, very that's it's moving away from that for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's my concern a little bit is anytime, especially I would say post, let's just throw a year out there, maybe 2016. Um, anytime something is like relying on like norms and and mores, it worries yeah. me a little bit because that is by definition saying things are OK now. So I'm pretty sure things will be okay forever. And I like even just Twitter as a sort of example, if you would, it's, you know, a relatively straightforward story. It's a crazy rich guy bought it and is doing whatever he wants with it. But if you had told me this is how it was going to go three or four years ago, (laughs) I wouldn't have thought that was very likely. I mean, I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm not a crazy person. I wouldn't have screamed at you and said you were lying, but like, it's pretty implausible, like based on how Twitter was sort of you know, they had a lot of third party apps and that's what helped it grow. Like the norms yeah. and the more mores are around Twitter were free and open to some extent too, even though it was obviously yeah. a closed platform and that can just go away. And so I think about that a lot with like, you know, w- what happens when Google uh, decides that they need to become even more, not the do no evil company. Like it, it, relying on that, using that as the sort of well, they, it's right there on the sl- in the slogan. We've done that before. We've seen where that gets us, and it worries me a mm-hmm. little bit that it's not a protection that we have that is formalized somewhere. I think that maybe uh, government regulation of the internet and technology in general. I I, I can't remember whether it was last week or two weeks ago, or maybe just every single episode of this podcast that we've done, where I'll rail against the government's ineptitude when it comes to regulating technology. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it was maybe last week where, we, where I mentioned uh, how much spam we all still have, even though spam was regulated. Uh, and uh, uh, I think that I've probably painted with too broad a brush in that government regulation that's restricting you from doing something online or that's limiting something that's happening online has been overall not great, borderline failure. 
But uh, a Section 230 like this, which is a government regulation that has regulated in favor of free and open exchange, uh, or in a way that has facilitated free and open exchange, that's the kind of government regulation that I can probably get behind here. Because I th- especially with the United States government, uh, it's probably at its best at regulating technology in the sense of saying, no, we're going to keep this open and free. You can't close this off. Right. Uh, so bad at regulating to prescribe things, uh, but good when it comes to let's leave this open and let it grow and flourish. Yeah. Um, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. You you go, Andrew. No, I'm, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Jason. It's sort of the, I think oh. you you said proscribe, and I feel like the other the, the the other side of the coin is protect and sort of leave something just open, just sort of say we're not going to regulate this, but neither is anyone else. We're not going to leave it to the states. We're not. We are just leaving this a like as you said, free and open. I think that is when the government yeah. sort of handles technology yeah. best as well. I I remember what I was going to say. Yeah, they're so they're very bad at controlling the internet, like stopping spam, because yeah, I think at its core the internet's kind of lawless because it's so. Like any co- countries have their own internet, they can do. Uh, you can access other countries' internet, at least as it is right now, um, uh, freely, for now. and that's the norm <laughs> for now. Uh, right. But yeah, like another example of freeing, like Section Two Thirty, is the DMCA, which a lot of people hate, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which is why YouTube can exist, because otherwise, people uploading to YouTube, like you would, like you need more than Section Two Thirty. Uh, uh, right. Like th- it sets up how they make those copyright claims, because otherwise they'd have a problem the second anybody uploads copyrighted content. And now, like they can let you upload it and then let other people notice, you know, notify them this is copyrighted, right. and then pull it Disaggregate down. Disaggregate enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So without that, that would have been, I believe, I'm not a copyright lawyer. But I believe that wouldn't have been possible. Like YouTube wouldn't be possible without the DMCA, which kind of, you know, was ahead of its time in terms of what it was trying to protect. Yeah, in that one particular, because DMCA also introduced a lot of the like um, copyright protections on, you know, the reasons why you can't uh, make backups of, you know, games and all the various DRM stuff that we dealt with. I don't know if you guys were still deal with. Yeah, we still deal with. Do you guys remember it was like in the late aughts, I think, or maybe the early tens? There was the whole Sony DRM issue where there was some. Oh yeah, right. Some piece of software, the, some the game kit, or something. The CD, the rootkit. Yeah, uh, just... yeah. It was if you put a Sony CD into your computer, it installed a uh, anti DRM software at the kernel level, uh, right. and uh, it so didn't it tell you it was doing it. And it introduced a security security flaws to people's computers, and yeah. it was a huge problem. I remember not that. an anti DRM, not an anti DRM, pro DRM. DRM is digital rights management, I think. Right. Uh, and so it was Sony basically like sneaking malware yeah. into your computer yeah. to make sure that you couldn't, you know, uh, rip your rip your uh, Thor. God, that was <laughs> whatever. Uh, too too recent to be applicable. Uh, your uh, Dogma DVD. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, which well, Dogma's I, got its own set of things going on, but it, it was like a specific <laughs> CD, though, right? It was like um, I think it was like World of Warcraft or something. Christina, it? I, mean, it was, I thought it was like Christina Aguilera or something. I thought it was like a pop. Really? 
Yeah. Oh wow, I thought it was a game. I do remember when music CDs would have the auto run.inf file so that it would it would uh-huh. load something on your on your your Windows PC. Well, yeah, and um, there was that whole era when they, whenever you put something in there, like it would prompt you to run that because when you put a music CD into your CD drive on your computer, they wanted to like walk you through the whole interactive digital experience of listening right. to, you know, bye 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 on your computer. Like, oh, all right, guys, you can so keep your malware. Amazing, yeah. It was a lot more than one CD. Apparently, it was twenty-two million CDs. Whoa. Uh, but only those published by B- Sony BMG. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, everybody was. There's a lot of hashtags being thrown around of Sony BMG at the time. Yeah. People were very upset. But, yes, me too. I mean, I so was. the DMCA you know, has issues, right? I, I agree. Yeah. The DMCA takedown notices are the only reason like a YouTube or a Twitter can exist because otherwise they would just be perpetually tied up in litigation with all these copyright right. holders that are claiming that this was. And yeah, the the Section 230 is not going to protect them from that. Um, I, it seems that we're probably going to get our wish with this based on what the justices, the questions are like, this was a little bit of, I think everybody sort of getting themselves whipped up that like, no matter where you were on the spectrum, whether you were afraid of it or you were really enthralled at the idea of section two thirty being eviscerated, you thought these cases were going to be the, I mean, there was a lot of talk about it over the last couple of weeks and it seems like the justices just don't really have the stomach for it. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't the one, but this is the dress rehearsal for the one. They they can tell yeah. they don't like to to be in charge of destroying huge economies. <laughs> they don't like to be in that position. Uh, yeah, and this is something that you need a scalpel to work with, not like the hatchet yeah. that was feared they would come at it with. Because if you just eviscerate Section Two Thirty, I, I yeah, I really don't know how it plays out. How how these platforms can continue to exist? I I would bet at this point, if I were a betting man on this, I would bet on a punt. At this point, like, uh, really? you know, because they didn't have to reach the Section 230 yep. issue to yeah, uh, the Terrorism Act thing. Yeah, they could go on the Terrorism Act part, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, I think so right. they probably won't. Uh, if they can find a way to not talk about it, I bet they won't because uh, they don't want to have to. And it seems like the lower courts and are more or less very are similar, have reached similar conclusions, even if not totally disparate. And there's a million other circuit splits that they could be dealing with instead. You know, we've been getting fed stories a lot uh, over the last few years about how John Roberts is trying to save the Supreme Court and uh, uh, how he's looking to establish his legacy. Uh, I can imagine a scenario where John Roberts is going, Chief Justice John Roberts, is going in between all of these different justices' offices uh, you know, brokering deals to make this work so that John Roberts can be the guy who saved the internet. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that's the legacy that he's looking for here. And like, I'll tell you what, as far as legacies go that w- with all of the bad marks on his legacy recently, like this would be a pretty okay mm-hmm. one to, to put up on his awards shelf. Basically, just don't much... put his mark on it, his court mark on yeah. Section 230 at all. Just sort of do his time without having touched it, I think would right. be our what we hope for. It's funny how much, like, you know, legacies are tied to a chief justice, even though the chief justice barely does anything extra, you know? <laughs> he let, They, like, assign circuit, circuits for, for uh, extraordinary appeals or something. Uh, and that's, don't they also assign who writes the opinion among in the the majority? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. That, that's it. Like as I remember in law school, I think that's what I like. I remember learning that 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 was 
that's basically the big thing. That's it. That and okay. like the junior justice, the most junior justice has to like hold the door for all the other justices as they come <laughs> in or something. There's some like really arcane, strange little, you know, rituals. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's it. I think that's the big thing is they get to uh, assign who writes the, but I assume they ask. They don't just yeah. assign it. They know, you know what I mean? Who I mean has somebody the, wants to write it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, and they also know who has doesn't. the ideology ideological bent that they you know, even among the the majority holding they know the one that has the opinion that is the closest to what they feel so i guess that's a little bit of i mean it's not unlike mm-hmm. twitter having the ability to promote a tweet or uh you know from content from somebody else the, the chief justice can do the same thing the chief justice is the algorithm Gee, yeah. that elevates one of the opinions <laughs> yeah. above all so the is, is the chief justice responsible when uh alito writes a really spicy opinion that everybody hates uh, mm. because he's the one that assigned the leader to that opinion, even though the chief justice would, didn't actually agree with the spice. <laughs> no, chief justice wanted a, wanted a chill opinion and Alito was like, no, I'm coming in blazing. Uh, yeah. I'm here to protect our culture. Uh, and chief justice is like, please don't say that. Uh, but too mm-hmm. bad you, you promoted it chief justice by assigning yep. this to Alito. I think we, uh, I think Andrew, you just teed us up for another Cunningham's Law experience when you're talking about what the uh, what the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court does. And we're going to have a throwback to when oh, we yeah. talked about what does the Speaker oh, of the yeah. House do, and yeah. we're promptly informed that uh, we know nothing and oh, we're yeah. totally wrong about everything. No, uh, we know, we so. got everything correct. If you disagree that we got everything correct, send your corrections to us on Master Jason. Hunt. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. To Jay, yeah, send him to Jason. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's let's reemphasize the fact that this is a hard facts, hard news uh podcast. Yeah, and right. Definitely not just three guys screwing around for the Coming fun. Coming at of you it. hard. Not at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I don't like that phrasing at all either. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, oh moving on to the <laughs> to our, our follow-ups. Um speaking of destroying the internet, we yeah. have uh Twitter or you know, Elon Musk through Twitter doing all more, you know, more to ruin the service as best as possible. So they turned on, apparently, in the in the intervening weeks since we last laid into Mr. Musk, they turned on, uh, they made two-factor authentication through SMS, which I have my own feelings about. It's, it's not a great way to do two-factor yeah. authentication. I do it on some uh, accounts. I'm not going to tell you which because I don't want <laughs> yeah, that's to, That's bad infosec to, to, to tell people out, which yeah, ones no. you have that on. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I'll never tell. Um, but uh, so you really shouldn't do that. But so, so apparently the, the, yeah, they shifted this to only Twitter Blue. The eight dollar a yeah. month subscribers can get this like worse security uh, <laughs> method, which is very strange. But my yeah. hypothesis, and I assume probably other people's too, is that it costs money. They have yeah. to tie in with telecoms in order to send these yeah. these codes. It costs and a few cents to do it, or whatever fractions they can't of a cover cent. It. Yeah, and no. like. It's just so, so funny to see them like money grabbing in this like so like petty way uh, right. mm-hmm. for as much as even though two factor authentication is not good. And I think in some cases makes your account less secure. What? Um, well, two factor, two factor. For, I mean, SMS. SMS. Yeah, SMS. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. OK. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say we were going to we were going to have a bigger fight than. <laughs> right. Than no, it's less secure. It, uh, <laughs> even though SMS I've heard sometimes makes your account less secure. Because of how easy it is to to clone SIM swap SIM cards. Yeah, I've had it uh, happen. I had Twitter accounts taken. Yeah, by that. Yeah, uh, but like that's what uh, that's it's so rare for people. Most the vast majority of people do not do two factor authentication. Can't be bothered. It's too annoying. Uh, and the but the vast majority of people that do care enough to do two factor authentication are doing it through text message. But it's so sure. yeah, it's so sad that like. <laughs> that these are the the 
the little pennies that you're pinching uh, to keep your service alive. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I it, don't see any other reason for it. I, it, it. I don't, I don't, there's no technical reason for this that I can see. Right. Sorry, Jason. So is it still possible to do two-factor authentication on Twitter with some other method? Like, can you use the yeah. Google Authenticator or any QR code reading? Okay, so yeah. it's yeah. not removing two-factor authentication for everybody who doesn't have Twitter blue. It's removing SMS <laughs> two-factor authentication. Yeah. BS. Oh yeah. well, all right then. I'm 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 not inclined to give Elon a pass on anything or give Twitter a pass <laughs> on anything. But like I, this, oh. I understand this a little bit better. I understand I've, it, but yeah. to leave it for paid users is insane. Like that that it, doesn't make any sense. I totally understand getting rid of uh, SMS, right. you know, two factor authentication writ large. But to yes. put it behind the paid user thing, which does not have any sort of identity requirement or anything else, th- yeah. those users are no different from any other user, save for the fact that they've kicked in $8. To, to yeah. leave that on for them, that is clearly just a money-grubbing thing. That's not a security thing. Yeah, that's... Yes. And that is a put another feature behind the paywall because we might as well, you know... They they were like, right. how can we eliminate... How can we reduce costs? And they're like, well, we're spending, you know, a few million dollars on text <laughs> messages uh right. every you know every month uh maybe we can make it so that you can only pay for it and then that's you know that's that's about it i don't think it, i'm not really bothered by it at all i just think it's just kind of kind of no i'm with sad, you yeah sad and yeah, i don't think there's any security i mean there's a little bit of a security problem because you know a decent like you, you take that sort of pool of yeah. people that used to have that are not paying eight dollars that used to have yeah. sms two-factor they're not a, a decent proportion. I don't, I'm not going to guess this to a number, but yeah. I bet it's a pretty high percentage will just turn off two factor entirely. They're not going to install an authenticator app and do that whole thing. So it's not security. It's not going to get better. And like the bot problem right. and like stolen account problem and all that, that's not going to get better. That's going to get worse. Yeah. There is the one, there is one actual problem I see here, which is that apparently after like March, someday in March, if you have not turned it off, you have to subscribe to Twitter Blue in order to get access to your account or something like that. Or you're really? just locked out of your account <laughs> forever. Oh, something wow. like that. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's pretty like, you should get like one last shot, you know, forever. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, it, a lot of uh, Twitter accounts that I've turned on two-factor authentication um, are just never, like they're totally inactive and haven't been active for a long time. I think one of those accounts might be so... I briefly, very briefly, in 2013, had a fake uh, Grant Balfour Twitter account. Do you know who Grant Balfour is? This is mostly no, a question for not. Andrew Leahy. But he, no. Look, he's he was an A's relief pitcher in, okay. for like two years. <laughs> but he's okay. mostly, he was not that good. But, okay. I mean, he's pretty good. He was, uh, he was fine. Uh, but he was <laughs> you're, mostly you're doing famous. the math right now as to whether or not he might be listening. I, I, yeah, I <laughs> he, was, can't, he was a like, nice man. I'm sure he was a lovely gentleman. No, yeah. here's he was famous for cursing constantly from the mound. So okay. the whole concept was, you know, it was just random cursing. It would just be, you know, Grant Balfour with this, <laughs> the account would just randomly curse. That's uh, pretty good. I think I have two factor authentication on that account. I haven't accessed it in eight years. Um, so. I don't know. I have no idea. But that con- if that account is gone forever, then I don't care. But some people will have accounts they actually want to save, uh, yeah. I guess. But maybe don't even know they're being threatened because this isn't big news outside of this techie circle. 
Yeah. So, okay. So right. let's contextualize a little bit about how much money Twitter actually stands to save. So I Googled for mass texting, I don't know, service or something like that. Yeah. And, a, and an enterprise solution that includes 200,000 messages per month. And then beyond those 200,000 messages, it's one cent per additional message. That costs $3,000 a month. And so how many users are there on Twitter? Okay. How many of them are using SMS texts to... Uh, to as their two-factor authentication, how mm-hmm. often do they actually need to authenticate? Because like you don't have to authenticate every time you open the Twitter right. app. You authenticate once a, every, a month, once every six months, once every year. Even, I, yeah, I think it's less. It's it's less often than like once every three months. I feel like it's only when you're. It's like only on an initial login. Right, or something like that. It's oftentimes it's, it's tied to a particular um, browser or device. So, like, yeah. what it does is it hashes your like your browser oh, agent, okay, yeah. like, information about all of that, and then it sort of ties that this has been authenticated through two factor to this machine. I don't know about Twitter, but this is how a lot yeah. of like banking services work and stuff. So that you wouldn't need to do that again for you know maybe six months on that machine if you right. obviously yeah. did it against someplace else. you know what i mean like it's sort of like a remember it's the the 2023 version of remember my password and just stay right. locked in this is not something that's going to save twitter millions of dollars this is something no. that's going to save twitter the salary of maybe one and a half engineers who are working to maintain <laughs> already this been code. Hired. yeah that's true uh, yeah that's right they've already <laughs> been uh uh, no, they're sleeping in the uh, the converted <laughs> office that's it's now pods, a bedroom yeah. at, at Twitter. Right. Uh, nobody's seen him for weeks. Uh, and uh, like maybe I'm sure Twitter can work out a pretty good deal uh, that's better than the one that I see for the very first enterprise texting solution that I Google. Uh, that was the ad that was served up to me on top because I wanted to cost them $2. Uh, <laughs> and so like how many bridges are we burning for <laughs> such a small amount of money? It's just, uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, they're not paying rent, right? So right before we went live here, we, we quickly were skimming an article that's talking about their Slack and their, their Jira, their like ticket management stuff yeah. and, and uh, uh, bug fixing stuff is down. And I mean, sure that we're going to find out in the coming days. It's because they didn't pay for their Slack instance and they didn't just as, like I said, they didn't haven't paid for their rent. And there was some other thing, VoIP service or something that they were, they were not paying. I mean, it's, it's obvious that they are, it's hard to imagine like what comes next. There doesn't seem to be a lot of meat left on the bone to be sort of carving off. They're like chewing on bones. Now I do circle in the drain. I wonder yeah. how much of the non-payment is literally just the people that used to pay are gone. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. like, I wonder that too. Yeah, nobody know, knows nobody, how to pay the bills. No, the ball f- has fallen through a million cracks because there's nobody yeah. around. Uh, I don't think that's possible with the rent because the rent, I've seen that complaint, the rent, you know, they sent demand letters and stuff like that. Uh, but like with other stuff, sure. Like, you know, they, they don't, I guess if... <laughs> You don't know who to email at Twitter anymore because they don't have a comms department, and you you know all the right. people you've been dealing with before are all fired. Like you just have to tweet at Elon, "Hey, yeah, can you pay the, the catering." Elon, bill? Elon, you haven't paid this bill, and the whole right. feedback concerning. I don't know, <laughs> and a little um, emoji laughing. Yeah, yeah. Helpful, uh, Elon. Helpful. I, someday there's going to be a real, like, full-on uh, book about this. There, there's oh, going thing. to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Netflix yeah. documentary. It, they're just deciding whether or not it's going to be a documentary or like a limited series of right. 10 episodes. They're just trying to sort out now, you know, what, what it's going to yes. be. Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do they wait until Twitter's declared? Let everybody waits until Twitter declares bankruptcy, and then that's the trigger. That's the mm-hmm. end because otherwise. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, the story just keeps going. Is the problem? I mean, that's those are the greatest documentaries, though, are the ones where they don't like. Have you ever seen the um, uh, what is it, the Palace of Versailles, the the thing about the Floridian family yeah. that, uh, yeah, right. So, the greatest yeah. documentaries are when they set out to shoot one story, and a totally different yeah. story <laughs> comes about. So, like, there should be a documentarian following Elon Musk around. Because he's going to like insist that he's the first person to go to Mars or something and die when his rocket burns up. And like, I want to see that on the last episode <laughs> of this, you know, documentary that I'm making yeah. up. In my the head. documentary about Elon Musk going to Mars. And right. we so we were following around while he was engineer. doing rockets, but he kept getting on his phone and arguing with parody magazines right. uh, about <laughs> about his cat turd, stint on yeah. SNL. Uh, <laughs> he's checking in with Cat Turd as to what type of uh, solid state rocket they need. <laughs> And then he burned up on re-entry. Yeah. Oh gosh, he's that, offered uh... to purchase it. Oh gosh, he's offered to purchase it. Oh, the stock market crashed. Okay, he's trying to pull right. out now. Uh, I'm, he's sleeping. I under imagine his desk. that. I imagine that Elon Musk's vanity is such that he has had a documentarian following him around for a while already. Anyway, so yeah, I am looking forward to the Michael because Michael Lewis was following around SBF at FTX mm. yeah. uh, while it was. Uh, like while it was still in its heyday and then as it collapsed. And so I'm looking forward to that book. Yeah, me too. Okay. So I think we've, we've, we've ran uh, uh, the Supreme court. We've run uh, the justice system. We've run Twitter into the ground. Um, I think one of your alma maters here uh, had a run in with uh, an AI. That's me. That's you. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. Uh, Vanderbilt. Well, not it's the education school at Vanderbilt. Okay. Uh, so there was a, uh, as sometimes happens, there was a mass shooting in mm-hmm. Michigan State at Michigan, uh, and Peabody, Peabody, the education school, like sent like a uh, condolences or like concern email um, out about it, like in response to the mass shooting. And at the bottom, it said this was generated by Chat GPT, and it's just like. That's so that's the most embarrassing thing I can ever imagine have have happened. Yeah. They've apologized. But man, that's like how, <laughs> how that's does that rough. even occur? Because ChatGPT doesn't sign off. It's like you need to that must have been an intentional choice to put it, it, it in, doesn't right? sign off. There's not like a pre-trial version. It doesn't no. it's not one of it those doesn't. things where like if you copy it, it automatically adds that text into the copied text. I just no, assumed no. that it was like sent from my iPhone, what? that sort of thing stuck yeah. at the bottom. No, I mean, not in the version, not in the chat GPT that, you know, regular users have access to. I haven't purchased the $20 a month, whatever, plus plan or whatever, but I can't imagine that they add that in for paying customers. No, there's nothing. It just, you know, churns out what you ask it to churn out. So they must oh. have thought that. Yeah, the the note, it didn't say generated. It said paraphrase from OpenAI's chat GPT. I bet, okay, so there's no way ChatGPT made that. Uh, I bet somebody said, somebody maybe like even Let's as cover a joke, ourselves. was right. like uh, emailed somebody else about like, okay, let me generate a thoughts and prayers email on ChatGPT and then right. emailed it. And like, here's a paraphrase version. I paraphrased from, chat, uh, from ChatGPT. Right. And somebody else has copied that without thinking about it. 
Could be, yeah. I mean, the the alternative is that they thought that it was better to give attribution to ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, they did. Like, there were concerns of. Yeah, they wanted let's to be not honest. get ourselves in trouble. Yeah, yeah. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't want to infringe on ChatGPT's <laughs> copyright to the text. Right. You yeah, never know. They a, might try to lay a claim. Yeah. As an uh, well, intelligence, as an independent intelligence, it deserves attribution. It's only fair. It, these are ChatGPT's sentiments and thoughts and yeah. prayers. So it it should yeah. Yeah. So the moral of the story here is if you're going to use chat GPT to write something, especially something that's sensitive, don't tell people that it's chat GPT. <laughs> Get well it was too stuff. honest. That's the thing. Yeah. Everybody knows these like, you know, uh, all these corporate and or administrative support emails and stuff like that are kind of like, you know, recitations and robotic. And now it's literally robotic. And yeah. so it's too, too honest. <laughs> Oy. All right, so I think we can move on to our uh, what's going on and, and recommendations yeah. and stuff. I can go really quickly because I have a, a really uh, my yeah. my column this week is not something it's about Experian and Equifax, but that's been done to death, so I'm not going to recommend that column. Uh, but do read my column. My my recommendation is for the game. I think I've talked about it before. <laughs> contractors on the Meta VR, whatever oh. the thing is, uh, hmm. very good. It's like Counter Strike, basically same oh. graphics, roughly from back yeah. in the day. It's a first person shooter, but okay. there's uh, an open platform for mods and for um, uh, various like themes and skins and stuff. And so people have created the Death Star and. Um, very like basically i've just played around with the star wars stuff but it's pretty cool you get to play counter-strike in the death star where obi-wan kenobi gets uh killed by darth vader uh or you run yeah. around uh darth vader's uh whatever his thing on that lava planet where he got burned up cool oh. game called contractors it's like 20 bucks well mustafar mustafar no. thank you yes deep pole where he got deep cut pole. down <laughs> yeah. where uh obi-wan had the high ground um that's <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, it, this is totally unrelated, but it's except that you the game's called Contractors. Uh, do you guys like Contractors? <laughs> As in the people the, who work on your house? The people, yeah. I, I'm just bringing I just bring that up because there was a joke in the Last of Us uh, episode where uh, you know Joel is explaining to Ellie about the time before the zombie outbreak, how he was a contractor, and she was like, "People, yeah, oh, that sounds cool." And he's like, "Yeah, people love Contractors." <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. Uh, I don't think anybody he, loves not telling her it was a joke, but um, right, yeah. Uh, my recommendation, not really recommendation. Check it, Hogwarts check in. Uh, I feel like I've fallen down because like two weeks ago, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna play with my We're wife. All about it, yeah. Last what week, happened? I was like, yeah, I'm having fun. I, I've, I'm coming down. It's coming down. I'm. It's more and more repetitive. And like, not that interesting. And the story, like, so now it's leaning on the story, and the story can't handle it. The story is not good. Mm. It is very like it's very kids movie, but like not good kids movie, but like you know, uh, right. av- ordinary kids movie. So did I the no problematic elements huh? that you thought did the problematic elements that you thought might come up? Because I, uh, I seem to remember you were saying like there were some like uh, caricature depictions and well, stuff. Well, that's like what? embedded in Harry Potter and like not... Oh, okay, never mind. Like, uh, gotcha. And not in a way that like is that egregious or anything that I thought. Gotcha. Um, but like, I mean, it's there. Some people are mad right. about it. But honestly, it's not remarkable to me. Uh, like a lot of people are very mad about it, but I like... Uh, 
you kind of have to want it a little bit. Yeah. I cuz there's not there's not enough interesting to be mad about. <laughs> like it's Yeah. There, nobody's really that interesting. Uh or makes sense. The the cultures cuz the thing is there's like different species and you know all kinds of different things and uh, and they're theoretically different cultures but they all act more or less the same. So hmm. it's kind of just a kind of a product of dullness but gotcha yeah but Drag. it doesn't not it, a great recommendation no <laughs> uh, product of I'm dullness still, Raves, still, jacob schumer it's still okay it's still fine <laughs> i'm still gonna keep playing it okay so my recommendation for this week is something that i've been working on for kind of a long time but uh there is a uh fantasy book series that is uh, some of it's pretty old. The most recent uh, book, the last book in uh, in the series was published in, I think, 2014, but it's The Wheel of Time. Uh, Amazon made a uh, one season of a TV show about it, uh, and they're making at least one more. I saw news this week that they're building the set for season three, so it sounds like it's promising wow. that we'll get at least a season three uh, for it. Uh, but the series is The Wheel of Time. Uh, I just got through maybe two or three nights ago perhaps my favorite scene in the whole series. And it's just got me really amped up about the whole thing. Uh, it is uh, about how the world happens in cycles and things keep repeating. And, you know, it's a fantasy book series. So there's magic and uh, excitement and big epic battles and uh, uh, mythical beasts and all that stuff. And uh, like Harry Potter, some, you know, tropes that are not always entirely savory, but seem to be endemic to a lot of fantasy uh, worlds. Uh, not in any way that's like got people really up and upset about it, but uh, do recommend the wheel of time. Uh, I'm on book 10. If you want to just sprint and catch up to me, it's, <laughs> it's a 14 book series, 14 Whoa. in the series. Yeah. It's a, it's a long commitment, but it's good. It's good fun. Uh, it, you know, I'm, I'm in the part of it right now that they call the slog where it gets uh, maybe <laughs> less, less fun. The slog uh, is only three books long. You can get, yeah, get through don't it. worry yeah. about it. Yeah, I'll 1500 make it. 1,500 pages. It'll breeze right through. Yeah. Come along with me for the this particular turning of the wheel, as they say. It's the one piece of, of fantasy novels, if you get that reference. Fan, one piece is like an anime with like 2,000 episodes. Uh, oh. Yeah. No, I don't. All right. Sad one piece uh, outro. Sad <laughs> one piece outro. <laughs> It's you are a youth the... correspondent, so you, <laughs> you, you you would know about those sorts of. We play the outro to hide Jake's shame at knowing that reference. <laughs> One piece. We just silently shake Let's our talk head about out. Naruto. Naruto. <laughs> <laughs>